I, I told you earlier this week about the 10 years that we had spent in Nova Scotia. Now, I trust you know my heart when what I'm about to tell you, but when we started that church, it was, it was predominantly my wife and I and another couple, and we were all Caucasian. So it was predominantly a Caucasian church. And our first real influx of harvest was a group of university students from different countries in Africa. And there was one, one girl in the group, her name was Tracy. And I started to watch Tracy in church a little bit. And I could see when the Spirit of the Lord would move on her. And she'd want to let what we would call her culture out. But she felt restricted by our culture. Now, can I tell you, it's really not a matter of African culture or American culture. It's kingdom culture. But the fact is... Some cultures have maintained elements of kingdom culture better than other culture. Now, brother, I wish I could do the thing you were doing with your feet there a minute ago, but it, 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 they don't work like that. So finally, we had to say to Tracy one day, Tracy, we need you to be you. Well, what do you mean? I mean, the way you dance if you were in the altar in Uganda, I need you to dance right here. And I, I know you might feel a little bit awkward because there's a lot of American Caucasian culture that that may not be as natural to, and I'm still going to try, and it's not going to look that good. But Tracy, I just need to be you. And so it started with maybe 15 or 20 people in the church. And there Tracy would be in the altar from the very first song. It didn't matter if it was a fast song or if it was a slow song. She was going to be in the altar. Didn't matter what the beat of the drums was. Every Sunday, you go check out their live stream this morning. I promise you she was in the altar. And she's going like this. I remember the first time I preached for Brother Paul Graham in Montreal. I mean, they just flood the altar and they've got... Now, I know if, if, if you're born and bred on American soil, that might seem silly to you. But I think it'd be all right if we just... I'm going to preach. I'm not going to try to preach something. But I think it'd be all right if, if one more time we just kind of gave the Lord a sacrifice of praise. Some of you might need to just step in the aisle. You, you might need to take a step to the side where you got a little bit more room. So you don't hit the person next to you. Hey, this thing called dancing is a Bible thing. You go study the old Hebrew dance. It was a twirl. I'm not doing it because the country I'm from. I'm doing it because the kingdom I'm born into.
Hey, there's no singers up here, but you can still offer a sacrifice of praise from the fruit of your lips, from the sincerity of your heart. Come on, if he's been good to you, if he's been faithful to you, if he's walked with you through some tests and trials, hey, he brought you into the house this morning. You might be weary, but you're here. You might have pain in your body, but you're here. You might be battling, but you're here. And for that, I say he's worthy. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Come on, one last time. Would you lift up your voice? Just give a shout. A shout. Hallelujah. Put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. You can make your way back to your seats. We're going to go to the Gospel of John, chapter number 5, beginning at verse 1. As you're making your way back, I want to say what an honor it has been to be here with you this week. And I'm so grateful uh, for your kindness to my family. And I want you to know how appreciative I am of each of you, and especially your pastor, his wife, and the leaders of this local church. Would you put your hands together? Give honor where honor is due. In the time I've got to spend with your pastor this week, it's very evident to me that this man embodies the truth of what it means to be a Christian. He has a Christ-like spirit. He is gentle in his nature. His wife is stately. And I just tell you, the Lord has blessed you greatly. And for this, you should be thankful. Amen. And again, uh, sincerely, your kindness to my family. I so appreciate it. It's not often I travel with my wife and kids, and so I'm grateful uh, anytime we're able to do that, but when people go above and beyond to love my family, it means a lot, and I thank you for that. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. 
For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. I just want to preach a little bit of faith to you today. I've preached to the church predominantly the past three nights, but I just want to preach some faith to somebody today. I believe God would like to touch somebody's life. If you're here and you have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you have never spoken in other tongues as the Bible both shows and expresses so clearly, God would like to fill you with His Spirit today. If you're here and you have sickness in your body, you're battling in your mind, or you're just weary and you need a fresh touch from God, the Spirit of the Lord has already moved here today and He will move again. I just want to preach to you for a couple minutes on this title, He is Enough. He is Enough. Lord Jesus, thank you for this great opportunity to be with people of like precious faith. I pray now that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would speak. Let our hearts be ready soil for the Word of God. I pray that you would confirm your Word with signs following that it would not be with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and of power. Help us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. Uh, all the parents in the room today, would you just raise your hand? Uh, this means we've got a good majority that are well-versed in the arena of dealing with excuses. Uh, I promise you, we've had our fair share, but when I tried to remember them last night, for the life of us, we could not remember a good story. But my wife did remind me, our four-year-old has got this new phrase. Uh, He says it quite often now that I think about it, but one instance in particular, Haley was telling me last night that that we were calling to memory. Uh, He had made a mess, as children do, and there were toys all over the place, as, as is ordinary to children. And uh, my wife came in and, and said, Finn, you need to pick up your toys. You need to clean this mess up. And in his fine, distinguished form, he confidently replied to her, I can't pick up my toys, Mom. I'm only a little child. I thought, yeah, you, yeah. you are only a child, but if you're old enough to use your age as an excuse, you're old enough to pick your toys up. The, uh, you know, we all like excuses in some form or fashion. And that's what we find happening here in John chapter 5. A little context for you today for for those who who find it interesting. I was privileged to be in Israel in March and actually stood at this very location. But the Bible says that it was near to the Sheep Gate was this place called the Pool of Bethesda. Now, it's renowned for its opportunity, but evidently, by the text we read, it's also filled with obstacle. 
It's a place of great need. Those who come with ailments, the Bible said that there were impotent folk, blind, halt, those with the withered hand. Great disease and disability has gathered at this place in hopeful expectation that they might receive their miracle. Tradition uh, bears the testimony of Scripture, too, and that they believe that as the water was troubled, the first one in would meet the divine. And in that moment, anything could happen. The condition, as crippling as it might be, could disappear in a moment's notice. And so, while I commend their faith, I celebrate their conviction in the fact it is possible. I'm also stricken today that they had placed their faith in the parameters of a certain experience. If the water's troubled, and if I'm the first one in. So yes, they did believe, but there were parameters on the principle of their faith. And so the text tells us that on this day, Jesus comes to the pool of Bethesda and finds this man. He sees him lying, knowing he had been there a long time, the scripture says, asks him this question, wilt thou be made whole? Now, this seems like an obvious question. Why the question? Is it not apparent? Wouldn't anybody who's sick desire to be healed? And is not my presence in this place evidence of my desire to be healed? Why the question? It seems obvious on the one hand, but I would submit to you that after a few years of experience and even battling the human nature within myself that we are all uh, dispositioned towards, I would tell you that we all like to make accommodation for the trouble in our life. Oh, on the one hand, we don't like it. We will complain about it. We will talk about it. We'll even pray about it. But on the other hand, it's very easy to settle in to these struggles and to make accommodation for them in our lives. And so Jesus looks at him and asks him this question, do you want to be made whole? Now, I commend the man's desire, but there's still an element of doubt at work. While he's desperate for his miracle, he's doubting in his moment. He's in the right place. He's saying the right thing. But he has not yet discerned that this is an encounter with divinity. This is your moment. And I ask, or I tell you today that Jesus never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer. He didn't ask Adam where he was because he did not know. And he's not asking this man because he's wondering what he will say. He's asking with intention. He asked Adam where he was with the intention to rebuild relationship. He asks this man, do you want to be healed? Will you be made whole with the intention to heal? And now we find the response of the man in verse 7 of our text. Sir, I have no man when the water's troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, he says, another steps down before me. I draw your attention to these few but significant words today. Sir, I have no man. This is to say, yes, I want to be healed. Yes, I would like my life to be changed. Yes, I would like to receive a miracle. But the problem is, I have no man. I'm all alone. I have no help. There's nobody here to move me into the water when it's trouble. So 
without doubt, without question. There is a desire in him, but there's also an element of disappointment. He knows his need of help, but the problem is he's looking for help in all the wrong places. I have not a man. Uh, now, we, we get the privilege today of looking back into the corridors of history. And the testimony of Scripture is full of characters who had no man. David had no man when he walked out into the valley of Elah to battle that man named Goliath. Elijah had no man when he faced the prophets of Baal and runs under a juniper tree. He actually says, I alone am left. Joseph, he had no man. Betrayed by his brothers, cast into a waterless pit. Betrayed by those he's serving. False accusation, find him in a prison. He had no man. What about Daniel when prayer is outlawed, but he won't stop praying. He's thrown into a lion's den. He had no man. He was there all by himself. But when they come the next morning, there he sits with the lions and their mouths are closed. Stephen preaches and is stoned to death. He had no man. You see, the testimony of Scripture is filled with stories. These are but a few of those who had no man. But they had God. And such was the encounter we're finding in John 5. Sir, I have no man. I I see that the water is troubled. I desire to be put in the pool, but I have nobody to put me there. And so let me talk to somebody today who feels like you're navigating the complexities of life and you've got struggle and pain and problems and you're looking for relief from the battle, you got to make sure you're looking in the right place. There is a reason the psalmist said in 121, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. See, you've got to know where your help comes from. I, 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 I want the best leaders we can find, but we're not going to find help in the President of the United States of America. I, I, we're not going to find the help we need with a new governor or a new mayor. And I prayed for them. I pray, Lord, the Lord will lead them. I pray God will bless them. But I just come to preach to somebody today the help that you're so desperately seeking for, you're not going to find in anyone in this world. You're not going to find it in a politician or a sports figure. You're not going to find it in any man or any woman. And here this man looks back at the verge of a life-changing encounter and says, sir, I have no man. Yes, I know you have no man. That's why I've come to talk to you today. That's why I've approached you. We would find later in the text that, 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 that Jesus has been watching him for some time. But I've got to tell you today, the first thing you've got to understand if you're going to receive from God in this moment and in this day is where your help comes from. What we all need is a fresh touch from God, a renewed commitment and a renewed consecration because our help is not coming from any man or woman of this world. Our help comes from the Lord. And he tells Jesus, look at this now, I have no man to put me down and well, I'm trying, he says, another steppeth down before me. This is to say, There's enough something in that water to heal the first one, but there's not enough for me to. I have enough faith in this defined experience that whoever gets in first can be healed. There's enough for the first, there's just not enough for me. And my problem is my disability impedes my ability 
to be first. He had no means to meet his need. But the fact is, he was talking to Jesus who had more than enough power to heal. Everyone and everything. He was there not only able to touch the first one in the water. No, he had more than enough to heal everybody laying around the pool that day. The problem was when this man was being extended an opportunity, he was offering excuses. Oh, you've been there. You know those times you're in church service and you feel the Spirit of the Lord moving on you and that thought pops in your head, I really should go to the front. Man, I'd love to run around this building. I'd really like to dance like that, brother. I know it wouldn't look that good, but I'd like to try. And that thought is immediately followed by, well, I look silly or I've got pain in my body or this or that. I tell you, we're well-versed in the arena of excuses. So I read to you what the gospel of Matthew says in 19 and 26. Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Well, now, now the reality of Scripture forces us to consider this story in a new light and from a new perspective because I know your faith had drawn the parameters of your experience. If, if so-and-so lays hands on me and if I get a word from so-and-so and if so-and-so if so texts me and if, if they sing this song, I'll do that. And we draw these lines that we want God to move in. But I've come to tell you, God is not bound by the line. And sometimes what we have to do is erase the lines and the parameters we put on the power of God. And we just have to come to the place where we let God be God. Because with man, this might be impossible. I have no man. That's all right, because man couldn't do it anyway. But with God, he said all things, all things are possible. So I submit to you today, you are not bound by your condition. You are bound by your thinking. Your struggle is not the pain in your body. It's the battle in your mind. What you're fighting is not the financial difficulty in your world. It's the war of your thoughts. And if something's going to change in your life, it's going to start right here. When you come to the realization, as simple as it is, that he really does have all power. So I preach to you today, God by himself is enough. By himself, he's enough. That's why Paul could write in 2 Corinthians, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Did you catch that now? That you, say me, always. That means right now. And it means tomorrow afternoon. And it means Tuesday night when you get home from a weary day of work and you're tired and your body's sore, even then. And when Friday evening rolls around and you come home from a pink slip and you've had a, a tiresome week and you're battling in your mind, even then, all sufficiency. Now, sufficiency in and of itself is enough. It means that there's an abundance. There, there's no lack. There's a plenty. But Paul didn't just say sufficiency. No. He said all sufficiency. And he didn't just say in some things. He didn't just say in your health or in your mind or in your finances. He didn't just say in your marriage or your relation. No. He said God is putting grace towards you that you could abound always having all sufficiency and all things.
That's the kind of God we serve. And Paul's not, you see, Paul's got a little experience in his life. 2 Corinthians 12, he said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And because of that, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My grace is sufficient for thee. I'm preaching to somebody today who's looking for a way of escape. You're looking for a new career. You've been shopping a new car. You want a bigger house or a new suit. You're looking for a better vacation than you took last year because last year's vacation didn't feel the aching in your heart. I've come to preach to you today. You're looking in the wrong place. You're not going to find it in a man. What you need is God because God all by himself is enough. Your excuses are the enemy of expectation. And the challenge today is to come to a place where we stop accommodating what we can be free of. Why do you think Jesus looked at the man and said, rise, take up thy bed and walk? What was that bed? That bed was what he had used to accommodate himself. It it was his means of seeking comfort in his unfortunate plight or position in life. He had learned to accommodate it. It wasn't pleasant. It wasn't good. It wasn't desirable, but he had found a little means of comfort to accommodate it, trying to make the best of a bad situation. But, But on this day, Jesus comes extending him an opportunity. And so he tells him, sir, you're going to have to rise, take up that bed and walk. In other words, I need you to get rid of that bed lest you relapse to this way of thinking again. I don't want you going back to this. I need you to get up. Get rid of this temporary place of comfort because this is not just a conversation. This is a life-changing experience. What he was finding out was the power of God wasn't limited to the parameters of the troubling of the water and the first one in. He was about to discover that God had all power and that power wasn't bound by the procedure that they had become accustomed to. That power wasn't limited. In fact, the Gospels say that you made the Word of God of no effect by your tradition. Sometimes it is tradition that robs us of spiritual opportunity. We are hesitant to respond as we feel the Spirit beckoning us to respond because that would break the protocol of our tradition. And so Jesus says, sir, pick up your bed and walk. What do you mean? Someone's already got in the water. What do you mean? The water has not been troubled. I know. But what I'm telling you is pick up your bed and start walking. And he had a choice in that moment. He could choose to stand. I know he's not stood for 30 years. I know the bones don't work and the muscles are dysfunctional. Any other time he'd stand, his legs would be wobbling and people might be laughing, but he'd never been offered the opportunity to stand by a word from God. See, he was waiting for the troubling of the water, but the fact is he just got a word. And more times than not, this is what we're doing. 
we have drawn parameters of, of the experience and the expectation. Well, if pastor does this or if this person prays for me, if this happens and we put fleeces out before the Lord, but I submit to you today, we've already got a word. We've already got a word that promises us healing. We've already got a word that assures us of deliverance. We've already got a word that tells us that with God, all things are possible. So the challenge today is that we would quit accommodating what we can be free of. I'm telling you today, you can be free of the pain in your body. You can be free of the weariness of your mind. You can be free of that battle of anxiety. You can be free of that battle with depression. You could be free of a cancer or diabetes. I really do believe that God can do that kind of thing. He by himself is enough. Could it be that somewhere in the waiting of 38 years, he started to believe that God didn't know where he was? But from my perspective, the very fact that in the sovereignty of God, he would choose to highlight the length of the infirmity in the pages of Scripture indicates to me he was watching. Watching with great care and concern. Watching with love and interest. Oh, it wasn't just the lame man. He knew how many days he had been lame. He knew how long he had been struggling. And while this man no doubt had had many conversations over the course of his life about the ailment he is battling, he who asked the question this day introduces a world of new possibility. Because this is not just an ordinary man. No, it's not just a carpenter. This is not just another prophet roaming the streets of the Middle East. This is Jesus. So, the message within the text is not simply the question, but who asked it. It's not simply do you want to be whole, but it's the identity of the one that asks the question. Because when he lifts his head and locks eyes with this man, this is Jesus. Do you know who this Jesus is today? This is the Jesus that in Matthew 28 said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All means all. It means he has power over every sickness in your body, over every doctor's report your eyes has ever ever laid hold of. He has power over it. He has power over the bills you can't pay. He has power over the battle in your mind. He has power over the struggle with your children. He has battle over the power over the conflict in your marriage. He has all power today. I'm preaching to you today that this Jesus was not just an ordinary man. In fact, this is he who the scripture spoke of out of a fiery bush that said, I am that I am. So it should be no surprise that when the writer of Hebrews in 11 and 6 says, when you come to God, you must believe that he is, which to me, I'm no scholar today, but he is, is the third person of the first person I am. So these aren't just, aren't just randomly selected words. No, the writer of Hebrews is saying, let me show you something. Let me tell you about who this God is. Let me walk you back to a fiery bush on the backside of a desert in Exodus 3 when the Lord said, I am that I am. And when you come to God, you've got to believe that that's who he is. Don't you walk in this house today thinking you can call whatever 
whatever name you want to call. Don't you think you're going to get it by calling on Buddha or Allah or Muhammad or anybody else? You're not praying to Mary or any saint. No. When you come to God, you've got to believe that He is. He is what? He is the I am that I am. I will be what I will be. And the problem was that old boy didn't realize when he looked into the eyes at the man of the pool that day, he was looking into the eyes of God manifest in the flesh. He was looking into the eyes of them who in just a matter of time would do what Paul said when he spoiled principalities and powers triumphing over them in it. What was the it? The it was the cross. I've come to preach to somebody today. There's freedom in this house. There's deliverance in this house. There's healing in this house. There's miracles in this house. And it's not because me and it's not because you. It's because Jesus Christ and you know where it came from? It came when he bore our sin. He bore our iniquity. He went to that hill called Calvary. They crucified him on a cross. They put him in the grave. And the Bible said, had the prince of the world even known it, he wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. He didn't realize we were in the hand of God. And when he came out of that grave on the third day, he triumphed over every principality, every power, every sickness, every disease. Every battle of your mind, every pain in your body, he triumphed over them in it. This is he. This is, this is who it is. And so the scripture says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For when you come to God, you got to believe he is. You've got to know who he is. That's why he said, whom do men say that I am? Well, some say you're this, some say you're that. I know the church across the street says this, and I know the building on the other side says, I, and I know, hey, you can find whatever you want to find. It's 2023. But that, really, that wasn't the real question. Peter, who do you say that I am? I don't really care what Google says. You can find whatever you want on Google. I'm not too concerned about YouTube. You can find whatever you want on YouTube. But I do got a question today. Who do you say that he is? Because your understanding of who he is is going to determine your perspective on what you think is possible. Well, I'll tell you who I think you are. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood. You didn't get this out of a book. You didn't get this on a YouTube video. You didn't find this scroll on Instagram. You got this revelation straight from God himself. And because of that, let me tell you who you are. Let me give you keys to the kingdom. you got to believe that he is. But that's the first dimension of faith. That's why most of you came today. Because you believe he is. But I submit for your consideration, there's a great number of people in this room right now who are battling, if you believe the rest of that verse, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, to believe that he is is to believe in his character or his ability, pardon me. It's to believe that he has power, that he can do it. But to believe that he is a rewarder is a belief not in his ability, but in his character. 
And I'm telling you what the Holy Ghost is speaking to me about right now. There's some people in this room, you've gone through loss. You have suffered grief. You have carried heartache for a long time. And somewhere in the journey, you believe the lie that God wasn't with you. He forgot about you. He left you all by yourself. But he knew the man had been there for 38 years. You know why? Because long... Hey, Jesus wasn't even 38 years old in his flesh. But long before the Spirit was ever manifest in flesh, God was watching this man with divine intention and care and careful consideration. I can see it in my mind. I I can imagine the Lord of glory inhabiting the throne of heaven, looking at this man thinking, one day I'm going to come have an encounter with him. One day I'm going to show up in your world. I know the devil been lying to you and tell you how you are is how you're always going to be. I know you feel alone and forsaken and forgotten. But before God was ever manifest in the flesh, he knew the details of the man's life. And so after 38 years, when God, the fullness of time had come and God sent forth the Son, was manifest in the flesh like Paul said he showed up at the pool and said hey I know how long you've been here I know how weary you are I know how much you're struggling but today is the opportunity of change well sir I don't have a man I have no way to get in somebody steps down before me yeah I know you've got an excuse but I've just got to tell you he is enough Listen, I mean no disrespect. I'm not, I'm not a miracle worker. I don't, it's just not me. But, but let me tell you, I, I've been in places and conversations where we hear people say things like, well, brother so-and-so is preaching this meeting. I'm going to go there and get my miracle. And I'm not discrediting the man's gift. I'm not discrediting the man's ministry. But what I am saying is we've allowed a subculture to be created among us in the apostolic movement where we start drawing parameters on God and the power of God. Well, so-and-so has this gift and so-and-so has that. So if I can just fly across the country to the conference they're preaching at, then I'll be healed. No, you can be healed right now. Because he's as much God at three o'clock in the morning when you can't sleep and you're all by yourself as he is in North American Youth Congress or General Conference or because of the times. He is enough. I like it. I go to him, and I'm going to keep on going to it. I'm thankful for every minister, ministry, gift, and calling, and conference. But this is what I've learned. God by himself is enough. Because when I've been battling, when I was tossing and turning and living through storms and weather and the heat, you know what? There was no general conference to go to. I didn't have money to get nowhere. I was all by myself. COVID shut the world down. I was isolated. I was locked up. I was struggling. My mind was battling. But there, I learned he's enough. He knew every detail. He knew why that leg wasn't working. He knew what bone was crooked, what muscle wasn't connected. He knew how long you'd been there. He knew the thought of your mind. And he came this day to reward you. Do you believe that? He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I'm going to tell you today, if you're going to receive what God has for you in this house, you're going to have to believe what the scripture says is true. Prophet Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. Nothing. I want you to tell yourself that right now. 
nothing. There's nothing too hard for God. It was the angel of God, a proclamation to the Virgin Mary who said, For with God, nothing shall be impossible. But if you start drawing parameters in your mind about how it has to happen and how God works and your perspective will become distorted and you'll start thinking, well, when the water's troubled, if I'm the first one in, and you will rob yourself of God-given opportunity. I tell you today, the danger of this moment in the modern day is that we let our experience lower the standard of Scripture. Hey, there's a lot of things I haven't seen yet. But I can't let my experience lower the standard of Scripture. So I read to you Matthew 21 and 22. All things, all things, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Can I give you a couple testimonies? That lady, Tracy, I mentioned earlier, a lot of those, that first wave of harvest that, that our church received all those years ago, a lot of them moved on. Some didn't stay committed to truth, but Tracy did. She's still there today, pillar in that church. She wants to marry another man from Africa, so if you're here today and you're single, she might be interested if you're willing to move to Canada. She's that, she's that good of a girl. That's why I've got to put a little plug in. Tracy was a giver, not just in worship, financially. I mean, just... She calls one day and lost her job just suddenly terminator what are we going to do well we're going to pray because we can just choose to accommodate the condition and the circumstance and think this is our plight in life or we can utilize this power that he said is possible so we're going to pray less than seven days later she called back offered a job she didn't even apply for, making $15,000 a year more, and no longer was she going to have an hour commute across the city to get to work. It was a 10-minute walk from her front door. I was an 18-year-old teenager running from God. When I took an exit off a highway on a Saturday morning, the last thing I remember is seeing the speed limit sign and thinking, I need to slow down. And the next thing I know, I'm lifting my head, my hands are on my lap, and there's a telephone pole directly in front of the car. It's just in the blink of an eye. And all of a sudden, the telephone pole just hits the side view mirror of the car car goes down over a bank and I get out of the car laying on the ground staring at the sky just in shock with what just happened 
police officer shows up. She's got me in the back of her car and she's asking me all kinds of questions. She says, young man, I need you to come with me. She walked me back up the side of the road and you could see the tire tracks where they veered off the highway onto the grass. They're going straight. And they stop directly in front of that telephone pole. And a brand new set of tire tracks starts right beside it. And standing there, she pointed at it. And she said, can you explain that to me? I knew. I knew. I wasn't serving them, but I knew about a God who was rich in mercy. And in my pride, I just shook my head and said no. But it was only a couple months after that, sitting at the back row of a district youth convention, that God got a hold of my heart. Talking about the hand of God, picking that car up and moving it. Because he said, Dan, I'm not done with you yet told you about my father the other night 10 weeks in a coma doctor said he'll never live but my grandmother said I'd like to come one more time on Sunday after church with my pastor and we're going to pray and God raised my father up I'm telling you today anything is possible anything anything We had a woman visit our church during a revival several years ago, 2018 or 19. So desperately wanted to have children, had been trying for years, could never have a baby. Had tests, seen doctors. They said, there's nothing we can do. But in that revival, we laid hands and prayed and spoke faith and called on the name that has all power. And today, she's got a little girl. Several years ago, church I'm connected with had a little church drama. I know that's unfortunate. The assistant pastor was, for all intents and purposes, kicked out of the church. It was just a lot of carnality and confusion. It really wasn't justified. I chose to preach his funeral at his funeral. Kind of put me in outs with some of the people who didn't think that he deserved that. But I just believe in the mercy of God. Well, that became a seed of bitterness for his children. They left church. This is over a decade ago. Tattoos, piercings, kids out of wedlock, drugs, alcohol. I mean, just all of it. A couple months ago, I was preaching at home in Terre Haute, and on a Sunday night, I started talking about backsliders. His daughter called my wife on was the next day or two days after she said I've got to tell you about what happened to me she said about a year ago I started just feeling so empty and she's not stepped foot in a Pentecostal church for over a decade I started feeling so empty she said I started meditating and doing these new age mantras she said i sit on my floor, cross my legs and do this little thing and I'd recite these little things over and over and over. She said, but I just felt so empty. It didn't change anything. She said, and then one day I looked up 
And I saw my Bible sitting on my bookshelf. She hadn't touched that Bible in over a decade. But she said something in me. She said, you need to start reading that. And she said, I'd open it and I'd start reading it. And she said, I'd feel peace. I'd feel calm. I mean, just crippling anxiety where she couldn't function. She said, I'd feel calm. She said, after reading it for several months, I decided I was going to start listening to worship music. So I'd put worship music on in my living room. She said, then, just the other day, she said, I started lifting my hands. I wasn't just listening to it, but I was worshiping God. And she said, Haley, she said, God, refill me with the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you right now, if you went and scrolled through her Facebook page, you'd never think it. But he has power. And so Matthew said, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Now this word receive is a lot, lot, lot more to it than than what we think in the English. Brother, will you come help me? Just put your hands out like this. This is how many of us live. Our posture of reception looks like this. And we're expecting God to do this. That's not what the word means. The word means to take hold of something. To lay hold. So if you need your miracle, here it is. That's what it is to receive. So we have a choice now. Because his power is not trapped by the parameters of a certain experience. You don't need a certain preacher. You don't need a certain song. I promise you there's just as much power here right now as there was when we flooded these altars and the tempo was quick. Because what's going to happen has nothing to do with the beat of the song, the rhythm, who has the microphone. It's based on your attitude and the posture of your heart towards God. Thank you. I'm telling you today that The power of God is in this room. If you need the Holy Ghost, it's here. If you need a miracle, it's here. If you need the Lord to touch your mind, it's here. If you need God to work in the life of a backslider, that power is here. But you're going to have to have a change of thinking. You, You can't come just like this. Just give it to me. No. There has to be a tenacity, a desire, an activation within you that says, I'm going to reach out lay hold of it that's mine he said I could have it he said he has all power yeah somebody who says I want it give it to me your word promised it your cross paid for it 
Give it to me. Give it to me. Here's what we're going to do. I know we're going to flood the altar, but let me give you just a little bit of instruction. If everybody could just, in the center section, just take a few steps back for just a moment. If you're here today, and I'm doing this because it matters what we pray and how we pray. I told you about Peter the other night. The church got together and said, we're going to pray specifically for Peter. And God worked. And so I want to pray some specific things today. If you're here today and you have never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you would like to, maybe if someone is visiting with you today or you have brought them to church, you can help them in this. But if you would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, my first invitation is for you to come forward now. Make your way to the front. If you're here today and you need a physical miracle in your body, a physical miracle, it could be a pain, a, it could be a serious diagnosis from a doctor, but would you just press in now? A physical miracle. You need a miracle in your mind if you're battling anxiety or depression I mean it's it's crippling you your ability to live with peace and joy I want you to press in and all those who came just hungry for a fresh touch press in behind them we pray here in a moment our ministry team men of God women of God can Make our way through the crowd and lay hands on those who've come. But I, everybody, wants you to look at me. Everyone who's come forward for prayer, I want you to look at me. In the presence of God's power, every excuse has to die. Peter looked at that lame man. He said, looking at him, expecting to receive something. Not from Peter, because he said it in verse 16 his name through faith in his name all peter did the man thought he was going to get some coins i think i got 75 cents here yeah peter said i can give i give you your 75 cents you might buy yourself an old town donut or something and they might cut it in half because i don't even know if that give you one but i can give you enough money to get you a little something to get you through this day or if you'll allow me to direct your faith past me into him his name has all power that name has power over the pain in your body the dysfunction in your organs that pain has power over the chemical imbalance of your mind in the spirits that torment your home that name has all power so right now would you lift up your head and would you lift up your hands? We're going to pray together and let the Holy Ghost fall. Come on. All across this sanctuary, from the front to the back, from side to side. Lord Jesus, right now, upon the authority of your word, 
that says, by your stripes, we are healed. Upon the authority of your word that says you have all power in heaven and in earth. And in the name of Jesus Christ, right now, I pray you would heal minds, heal bodies. I pray you would touch withered limbs and dysfunctional organs. Yes, that's it. In the name of Jesus, right now, we speak to the pain in your body and we command it to leave. We speak to the torment in your mind and we command it to leave. Come on, that's it. You got to lift up. Lift up your hands. You got to take hold of it right now. Take hold of it. Harabohoyan, da 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 da